0: I want to talk this morning about four steps to true repentance, four steps to true repentance. And, um, I, um, we're going to look at, um, the 51st Psalm. I was thinking, um, earlier today about the fact that we really, as, as Christians, we really need to allow God to cultivate within us a finely tuned conscience. You know what I mean? Um, we emphasize grace because grace is the doctrine of the new testament right we emphasize forgiveness and freedom from shame freedom from guilt if you're saved your sins of your your sins are are paid for on the other hand christ came to destroy the works of the devil and he came to break the power of sin over our lives and as christians we still have the 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 propensity to sin we still have that tendency we still have a, a sinful nature sin unchecked in the life of the believer uh it's, self, it's destructive to us. It's corrosive to our souls. It distorts our thinking, our minds. It, it, it breeds all kinds of deception and all kinds of, of confusion in our lives. And so we need a, a framework and a method uh, to deal with sin in our lives as believers so that we can walk in continual fellowship with the Lord and continual fellowship with, with Jesus, right? And we can do that without allowing sin to cloud our lives and to, to confuse our minds and to, and to block our progress in, in, in the faith. You know, can I get can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. And so, in 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 Psalm fifty first, I'm sorry, Psalm fifty one, uh, David is giving his cry of, of repentance to God. And, and I think we know the story of David from the Bible. David was a man after God's own heart, on one hand, but David uh, had some missteps. Uh, see how we call stuff we we like to put a nice label on. David, David messed up, and David sinned big time. David committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, uh, arranged to have her husband killed on the front line of battle. And David uh, was going on about his business and thought he was, was going to sh- shove it under the rug and everything was cool. Everything was good. Right. And there was a man named Nathan, a prophet who came to David with a, with a carefully and, and, and cleverly crafted story about a, a, a man and, and, a, and a lamb and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, David became really riled about the idea of somebody taking advantage of somebody else and stealing something that belonged to somebody else that was dear to them. But Nathan said to him, and in King James' language, he said, Thou art the man. In other words, he confronted David with his sin. Nobody is beyond the judgment of God. Nobody is beyond accountability. No king, no president. Nobody is beyond the, the accountability to righteousness. And David, the great king of Israel, in that moment— had to submit to the authority of that prophet, Nathan, who, who nailed him in that moment and said, you're the one, this is what you did, and you're wrong. And essentially, he knew he needed to repent. And I'm so glad for David, and I'm so glad for us, that he had the, 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 the presence of mind and the, the the tenderness of heart to to turn to God. And so David repents before God and deals with his sin. And that's what God calls upon us to do. We do make mistakes. We blow it, don't we? We sin. We fail. But you know what? There is not. That's not a... a, a that's not a one-way street that you walk down there's this thing called repentance the greek word metanoia and uh, uh, repentance has to do uh with not so much with emotion and feeling and that kind of thing but repentance has a lot to do with a change of mind and and a corresponding change of of behavior and change of of, of attitude and change of lifestyle you see that you're wrong and you submit to god you 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 repent You you tell god lord i'm sorry for my sin but more than that more than just saying you're sorry, the, the the most important thing is that you allow God to change your mind and to change your, your lifestyle, your behavior, and and so in this 51st song, I want to give you Psalm. I want to give you four things that I think are, 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 are steps or keys to true repentance. If we really want to walk right with God, I don't know about you, but I want I want to live in right. I've been placed in right standing by the blood of Jesus, but I want to live in right fellowship and relationship with God every day. I want to I want to know that in any moment of my life, if I need God, I don't have to feel like wow. I really have a hard time praying because I know I'm not really in pocket right now. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's just me. I, maybe none of y'all ever deal with that. But you know how it is when you when you've been messing up and then you, you, there comes a time of a need, but of need in your life, and then the devil whips you all upside the head with guilt and condemnation and shame because you know that you're not in in relationship and fellowship. It's like if you're dogging somebody out and treating them bad, and you but you got to ask them for some money. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Can you get that for me? Um, and so we want to stay plugged in, don't we? We want to stay focused. We want to stay in relationship with, in fellowship, right? Fellowship. We are in relationship by the blood of Jesus, but fellowship has to do with thank you. We want to stay in a situation where we, we, we have that openness and that clear clear line of communication with God at all times. And we're not, it's not clouded by guilt. And you can, you can fail. You can sin. You can make mistakes. And you can still have that because there's a mechanism and a way that we get back in pocket when we've been, when we've been out of the pocket. Amen. So the first thing is this. Number one is this, conviction. Conviction. Uh, In verse 1 and 2, and this is what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Maybe I should read that with a little more emphasis on it. Because it's like, have mercy on me, O God. It's like, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David has, has come face to face with conviction. Now, there's one of the most important biblical distinctions we could ever make is to understand that conviction is not the same as condemnation. Did you hear what I said? And, and, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But David, in this moment, is asking for forgiveness because he realizes in his soul, in his heart, he realizes that he has been wrong. He realizes that he, that he has sinned, that he has done wrong. Through a work of the Holy Spirit on his conscience, by the... By his accountability to, to this man of God, he has, he's come to realize that he has blown it. He's made a mistake. And he has come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you never lose that convicting presence of God in your life. Pray that you never get so seared in your conscience that you, you can do all kinds of stuff and you can live any kind of way and then feel nothing. That is not a sign of being liberated. It's not a sign of being more advanced. It's not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of basically being in a very bad place. You want to always maintain a tender heart before God. David got to this place where he's, where he's convicted of his sin. Where, and conviction means that there's the, a verdict that has been rendered. Yes, he has sinned. Yes, he's wrong. He says, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He says, I'm messed up. God, I need you. Yeah. I know some folks. I've heard different strains of teaching. And, and some folks say, that because you're under the blood and you're a Christian, you never have to ask for forgiveness. It's a done deal. I, You know what? First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've heard the argument, well, that's that's, that's for the, the unbeliever. I, I don't think so. I think that, for, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure that for you and I as well, when we sin, we owe God. We owe God an apology. Yes. We owe God repentance. We, we owe God. We, 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 it is obligate. we It is our responsibility. When we sin, though we're Christians, though we're under the blood, though we're the righteousness of God in Christ, though, though we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, when we sin, We, in order to maintain an integral relationship with with Jesus, it's important that we do what David said and and that we come under the convicting power of the Spirit. That's a good thing. Now, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? See, conviction says this. What you did was wrong. Condemnation says you are wrong. There's something wrong with you you are less than adequate you are defective you are flawed you are you are you, there's something lacking in you it has it, it has to do with your worth and it writes you off there's no way in condemnation there's no way back but in conviction there's a way back and it's through repentance you get the, you understand the difference now the enemy brings us under condemnation and sometimes what 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 will happen is the enemy bringing us under condemnation when we sin because we're not standing Strong in the word, right? And because we're not dealing with this stuff, when you leave it untended, then he brings you under condemnation by attacking you and your value and your worth. Mm -hmm. But what we do is is accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but reject condemnation. David didn't say, you know, I'm just a worthless loser, and uh, that's it for me. I'm done. He says, wow, have mercy on me. God, I know there's a way back. I want your forgiveness. I'm crying out for it. I know I've been wrong." You understand? So that's conviction. It's not condemnation. The devil tries to bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts. You understand the difference? And then the second thing is confession in verses 3 through 6. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. You notice how how transparent, how, how blunt, how honest David is. This is an important step. Conviction then comes confession. And confession sometimes is a difficult step for some of us. Because we have a tendency to not want to just, you know, fess up when you mess up. And so we have a tendency to... Uh, to engage in what we would call the blame game. Any of you all know about the blame game? That's the oldest game on the book. I think that's the first. It should have been a board game, right? Because it was like the first game that human beings learned to play way back in the Garden of Eden. When we're talking about Adam and Eve, right? Because when they sin by disobeying God, we, I mean nobody, nobody owned up. Nobody took responsibility. You know what? Now what? You know what? When, when Adam's confronted, what, what does he do? Who does he blame? Eve. That woman. You gave me. And then he so he's blaming God. It's her and it's your fault. The woman, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree. I ate it. And, and his, you know, immediately deny responsibility. Sometimes there are reasons why we get into things and why we do certain things. There are reasons that on one level of our understanding might seem to justify certain course of action. But there's never an excuse for sin. And, it's ne- and when, you, when you're wrong, you're just wrong. Right. Amen. And so, you know, Eve, you know, pass him the fruit. He, you know, he's going to blame her. And then, but when, when she, she's she, she, she she's going to blame the serpent. Everybody wants to blame something or somebody else. See, David, to his credit, David doesn't play the blame game. He doesn't, doesn't try to pass it. Well, you know, Lord, it's tough being King. And I was a little bored and you put me in this place with all this, all this, all this temptation up in here. It's not my fault. I'm just a man. Don't you understand what a plan, you know? (laughs) know, David didn't, there's no, there's no, no, no hint of excuse here. There's no hint of, of, he's not going at this point. He's not trying to uh, fix the blame to anybody else or any circumstance or situation. When it comes to these certain issues of sin, when, when it's wrong, it's just wrong. And the most profitable thing we can do is be like David and just straight out Confess. He says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's quoted in Romans 3, 4. Eve learned, not before, not, in a short period of time, she learned how to play the same game, just like Adam. And we pass it on to, to each other, and it's gone on from generation to generation to generation. And so in the world all around us, just on a practical level, there, just, there are a whole lot of people everywhere in the world all around you who just refuse to take responsibility for anything they do. You know, you know that, right? There's a lot of folks like that it's never their fault ne- they're never wrong it's always somebody or something else or some circumstances let me ask you this have you, have you been blaming others for your, for your, your mistakes for your, your, your behavior do, do you secretly believe that you're not really responsible for your attitude or, or your actions have, have you said things like you'd sin too if you was in this situation I was in uh, you'd you'd be worse than I was if you if you were raised in a family like mine. Be careful. You're not giving yourself a pathway to success. You're giving yourself a pathway to mediocrity and failure because. Because you know what, we have to take responsibility for who we are. Because you know, don't you know that by the grace of God we can all grow and change? Don't you know that no matter where we come from or what circumstances we were raised in or born in, no matter what our family of origin, don't you know that God, our God, is greater. Our God is stronger, right? God, you are higher than any other, right? We sing that stuff. That that goes down into the to, to the to the, the fabric of our lives. God is able to, to 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 move us forward. God's able to change us. God's able to work in our personality, to work in our minds and our in our behavior. And so when we when we try to Past the blame when we play the blame game what we're doing is basically we're denying god the opportunity to, that that we can give him by taking responsibility and confessing our sins and being honest about what we're dealing with we deny him the opportunity to to, to not only forgive us and cleanse us and, he, and heal us but to allow us to grow beyond that and to mature in the faith you see this is a pathway this repentance is a pathway not only to being right with jesus on an ongoing basis but also to maturing and growing in the faith amen Uh, Martin Luther, when he uh, at one point commented on this passage, he said that instead of confessing our own sins, we like to confess the sins of others. He says, I I, I perceive the sins of others and the sins of others are always before me. He says, we view our own sin much more charitably than the sins of others. Isn't that right? As you get older, you kind of learn to kind of be careful, church and people. When you see somebody making egregious mistakes you, you find yourself being a little bit careful in what you say and how you address that you know why because it's really easy for us to do that but you know what there but for the grace of god goes goes me right and so but confession means being honest and open with god so we by the conviction of the holy spirit number two we we employ confession and that's what 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 the the new testament talks about in first john one, 1 nine what what john writes he says uh if um, We confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the New Testament side of that. But now, so we got conviction and confession, but that's still not enough. God, when we engage in this process of repentance, he takes us further. He takes us into the realm of what we would call consecration. Can you say that word? Consecration. That's a word we don't use much in the church today because it seems like a big stuffy word. Uh, but consecration has to do with us growing in holiness and becoming more like Jesus and God working stuff out of our lives, working bad stuff out of our lives, and working good stuff into our lives. Look, listen to these verses, verses 7 through 15, and we'll find out that consecration uh, also involves it encompasses service. Watch this. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. See, now you, you understand the difference between just being forgiven and cleansed? When you're forgiven, you still, you, you know, Sometimes it's it's, it's a treadmill we're on where we're forgiven over and over again for the same thing, but we keep doing it because we haven't been cleansed. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is more than just the guilt, but going into the heart and the character and who he is. and And he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Listen to this, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's consecration. God, would you do something on the inside of me? Would you you make me a better person? Would you grow me in that area? Would you take something out and put something in? Would you create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me? Steadfast spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, now I heard someone once try to minimize it. Well, you know, under the new covenant, God God won't take the Holy Spirit from you. Uh, And technically and theologically, you know, we we understand that God doesn't, doesn't snatch his spirit in and out of us, Right. But there is something, something about a heart and a desperation for God and a passion for God that says, "Lord, I love you so much, and, I, and I, I, I need you to forgive me, and I want you to give me a pure heart, because I don't want to lose your Holy Spirit." And the issue is whether the Spirit leaves you or not. We often, through our failure, we find ourselves losing a sense of His presence, yes. losing the, 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 the sense that He's with us. And He says, "Listen," He says, "He says, uh, restore to me." The, he says. Don't don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because, man, without the presence of God, without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. But look at verse 13. This is where the consecration leads to service. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Well, you see, when God does something in you, when God does a work of of, of healing and forgiveness and cleansing and consecration in your life, it, it it places within you something that you have to share with somebody else. This isn't just about you being right with God and having your act together, but it's about you being right with God and being empowered and enabled to to help somebody else get it together as well. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Because the more you allow God to get your life together, the more you yield yourself to God, the more you learn the art of repentance, and the more you walk in his grace, the greater blessing you'll be to everybody in the world around you. He says, "Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will, t- will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are my, you are, you who are God and Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise." This consecration, this work that God is doing in His life, is such that that He wants He wants to be able to open His mouth and share it with somebody else. Consecration encompasses service he says then will i teach so so we have conviction we have confession we have consecration and then finally and this this might this is another word that we're not too familiar with these days and the word is number four is contrition contrition c-o-n-t-r-i-t-i-o-n in verse 16 and 17 he says you do not you do not delight in sacrifice or i would bring it you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I think, I really do, that we often in contemporary society as Christians become much too casual with our sin. And those of you, if you're over, you know, the older you go and the older you get in life, the more you sense that in the culture around you, things that were once shocking and, and hideous and shameful become more and more commonplace. And so the the, the the boundaries are blurred and the lines are hard to find anymore. And, and as Christians, sometimes if we're not careful, we lose our sense of, of the holiness of God. I told you I was going to talk about sin today. Yeah. But he says, you don't, you, you don't want sacrifice. That's not what it's about. I do it. He says, you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. He says, he said, "My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit." He, you know, I think it was in the '70s when they said love means never having to say you're sorry. That was dumb. I wonder how many relationships that messed up. Right, right. Yeah, you know? but sometimes we got like we, we get to this point where we, you know we we don't think we think that contrition is 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 not useful, not necessary. But he's describing this. This kind of realignment with the purposes, priorities, and holiness of God, he says. I, I understand what you're looking for, God. I understand you're not looking for. And, and we could put it like this: God's not. He's really not. He's not really just concerned about your your, your church service and your you know your showing up and your your your, your tithes and offerings. He said That's, that has its place, right? The sacrifices have a place. He said, but what, what he's really looking for in you is something is something on the inside. There's something about being broken, and this doesn't mean this is a different kind of broken than you know like like when you're if your car is broke of course, it's a different kind of broke than when you are broke. But it's a different kind of broke, broke than just something that needs repair. But there's a brokenness on the inside when, when you just come to the end of yourself and you realize without God that you're nothing, that you can't do anything without him, and you realize how desperately you need him. And so what God delights in, the psalmist is saying, is when people who f- mess up and people who sin and people who fall and people who struggle, when they are broken before God, when they're, when they're, when they're real about it, when they're humble, when they're, when, when they're contrite. He said, "God won't despise it. It's something to, you know, asking the Spirit of, of God to, to grow us to a place where, when we, when we mess up, there's something there there's there's we feel pain. You, if I could walk up to any one of you with um with a steak knife and just punch you all up and down your arm, <laughs> is it feel that you say?" No. Wow, you're beyond pain. You're in a be- that's beautiful. Take, take, take a cigarette lighter and just put it all on you. You, you. you don't feel nothing. That's not health. There's something wrong with you because you have had those nerves and those, those sensations of desire. What's supposed to happen? The ones I stick you with the steak knife, you're supposed to jump back because it hurts. And you don't want me to stick you no more with the steak knife. Once you, you know, if you, you, you know, you, you happen to be at your friend's house, they're having barbecue and you lean on the barbecue grill, put your hand there. And it's like the, the proper response would be like, oh, otherwise, you know, you're going to be there next thing. Your hand's going to be on the plate somewhere. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, we, there's supposed to be, a, 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 there's supposed to be something on the inside of us that feels it when we do, that when we do wrong. And I think we try too hard to quiet that without going the proper route of true repentance. Quieted by doing the right thing. Quieted by quiet that thing by giving it to God. Quieted by confessing. Quieted by allowing Him to consecrate you, not by just you know tamping it down or it's like you know taking a lot of painkillers just to, uh, to attenuate the pain, but the disease is still there and it's killing you. Some things you don't want to take two aspirin and call the doctor in the morning because the pain is telling you something, and this kind of pain that that the psalmist is talking about, is the kind of pain that says, God, I want to be right with you. He says, and when you have that kind of pain, God honors that, and God will bless you, because he loves people, he loves to see his people have that kind of sensitivity toward him. God really wants us more and more to begin to see sin like he sees it. and We don't. And it's important to God, it's so important that it's so severe that he sent his only son to die for the sins of humanity. And so, he describes this brokenness and contrition, and he says, God doesn't despise those who are truly broken over sin. What am I saying? Well, one thing, I'm, I, what I see here is I, I I want, I'm saying, God, help me regain anything I've lost with regard to a sensitivity to you. I want to be contrite. I, I want to know that brokenness in your presence, not the brokenness of dysfunction, not the brokenness of people having broken me down, not the brokenness of, of being, you know, Beyond repair, but the kind of brokenness in the presence of God, where Wow, I, f- I feel the pain of my sin. I understand it matters to you because you died to free me of it. You died to forgive it. You died to, to give me the power over it. And so, I- I'm broken before you. And that, that that was that was David. Now, does that mean that we wallow in our failure? No. Does that mean we we we, we fail or we we you know, because sometimes you see Christians as this kind of false modesty, this kind of false nobility. Well, you know, I've sinned so bad. I know the Lord. No, I know there's no help for me. Uh, you know, just pray for me, because I, you know, get over it. Don't wallow in it. Don't don't try to impress people with your with your false humility. Don't try to impress people with you know with your brokenness between you and God is not for all of us to see. But we're not talking about wallowing in in in, in your sin. But we receive forgiveness. We accept the gift of cleansing we accept this is this is a process you go through and you get through it each time and, and you you come out of it he's not talking about wallowing in, in in your failure and your sin and and bringing everybody down with you and so we come face to face with the seriousness of our sin and then we allow jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us and to move us on beyond that amen? amen i hope this is helpful to somebody other than myself and so In in wrapping this up and tying it all together, first of all, um, this is one of the reasons why we need to cultivate regular times of prayer in our lives so that we can create a space where we can do this spiritual maintenance that we need to do, right? This is one, one of the reasons why it's important that we stay in fellowship with each other because we need the accountability that comes from Christian community. This is one of the reasons why we, we need to, to stay grounded in the Scripture in the Word of God, why we need to stay in the Bible. We need to read it all the time. We need to internalize it. David said like this, he said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Psalm 119. And so we, we want to create a space in our lives for spiritual maintenance, if you will. Repentance is this kind of spiritual maintenance. If you, if you were... Um, if you were Anglican and you, uh, you know, d- prayed the, the daily offices, what they call it. there's a certain way, there's certain, certain traditions, Christians pray with a set format, and they pray several times a day, and they pray certain scriptures every time. And I'm sure this is the same in, in, in Catholicism and in, in other Protestant uh, faiths that have a kind of ordered prayer. We, we wing it in, in, in our branch of the church. We just kind of go by what we feel. That's why a lot of us don't do nothing. But that's another sermon. Because I grew up with people, but they would always they would always mock liturgical Christians. But there are certain people in, in, in some of those some of those some of those traditions. The one thing they got habits, and they got structure, and they got and they do something. And so and when they can't make up the prayer, they go to the book and they read the prayer. And that's all right, because there's this one this one in the Book of Common Prayer. There's this one prayer of repentance that, that that is prayed every day. And I actually I've come to love these words because they help put it all together for me on a daily maintenance basis. And this is how it goes. It says, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. I can't find nothing wrong with that. It's, that's, it kind of gives us a sense of the content of, of, our, of our ongoing life with God with regard to repentance. And somebody can say, well, you know what? I don't think, I don't really don't have no sin today. You know what? That, that's, that <laughs> thought right there. So, so you do the maintenance. You do the work. You, you get real. You stay real before God. You stay open before God. Uh, so that you can have that unfettered, uncluttered, Unhindered relationship, that fellowship. The relationship is that's secure. It's like you know, m- m- my kids are my kids. If I if, if I write them out of my will, that's 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 going to be relationship issue. Uh, I mean, that's going to be a fellowship issue. But uh, but 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 as far as they're still my kids, that's relationship. I can't unrelate them. I can disfellowship them. I could diss them. They could diss me. You see the difference? You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Your sons and daughters are the Most High God. And that, that's not what's... We're not looking at that level. We're looking at the level, can you walk into his presence freely without guilt and without fear and without intimidation because you're being honest and straightforward about your sin and you, you stand keeping your relationship open. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. So this morning, as we go to the table of the Lord, the elders are going to come in a moment, and uh, what we're going to do is let's, let's make sure in each of our own individual hearts and lives Take a moment and provide yourself a, a, just a little bit of space. And we're going to, they're going to invite you to come forward. But as you do, take your time. Think about, think about your life. Think about what, you, what you're dealing with. Think about your struggles. Think about your failures, your sins. Think about the things that are, the, the, your resentments and your, your your bitterness and your jealousy and your and your, your fear, your anger. And I know a lot of us have a lot, we, there's a lot going on in the world. Think about it. And then, and then would you do. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, then confess your sin. Say, Lord, I confess that I'm in this state or I'm doing this, and so be honest with God about it. And, and then go, to, and then go, go with David. Say, Lord, would you forgive my sin? Forgive me today, and help me to walk in Your way. Right? Amen. All right, I'm going to ask the elders to come, and I'm going to turn you into their hands. And the worship team is coming forward this time. We're going to just continue on and finish out the service. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right.